This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. January 21st marked for us the one-year anniversary of the first diagnosed COVID case in the United States. It was an unnamed man in his early 30s from Washington State. And he luckily survived his bout of COVID. And his nursing team that nursed him back to health had planned a large celebration for that momentous occasion. But as it turns out, there was no time to celebrate because more and more cases were quickly soon to follow. And certainly, in the months that have followed, we've seen that unfold right before our eyes. In fact, over 400,000 Americans alone have died during this time of pandemic, tantamount to one in every 800 Americans dying. Truly staggering numbers. Now, I've spent a lot of time this last week reflecting on the year that has passed and the year that has begun. Indeed, I've thought a lot about the new normals that we have faced, the way that life has changed and taken us in new directions previously unknown. I think about the prevalence of things like virtual meetings or, for being honest, virtual worship. Maybe things that I would have considered but way, way down the line, but now are at the center and essential to my call and service and our work as a ministry. I think about how takeout is no longer limited to just restaurants, but takeout school as we host a classroom in our dining room table for our three sons Monday through Friday each week. But we do it in an effort to protect ourselves and to protect others. Speaking of that, then there's these masks. Simple as can be, right? Uh, a piece of cloth with maybe some elastic or string on the ends to, to put on my, my silly looking face and, and that offers mutual protection for both the wearer and those around them. Now more widely mandated by both local and federal governments, an essential part of everyday life. When I leave the house now, it's that game of sort of, you know, wallets, keys, phone, mask, right? It, it's made the top for list at this point. And if I'm being honest, it's a great opportunity to accessorize, maybe match your shoes. You might, might as well be fashionable while we keep each other safe. I recall actually quite vividly the first time that I wore a mask in public. 
uh, we were going to Costco and, and it was early on. There were no mandates in place or requirements to be had at that point. But we decided, my wife and I, that we should wear one just out of abundant caution. I remember walking into the store and seeing maybe 20 or 30% of the population wearing masks at that time. And if I'm being honest, it really was pretty uncomfortable. Not the mask itself, but the way I felt. I felt really self-conscious. But now what's kind of odd is if I go and leave the house or I'm in any situation where I forget a mask or forget to put it on before I get in, I feel even more self-conscious at this point. Indeed, we've reached a new norm. And I think the, way, the reason I feel so self-conscious is because of the guidance behind it, right? Because of the scientific knowledge behind this recommendation, these mandates to wear masks, right? It might be a minor inconvenience for me, but it makes a major difference for all of us. Now, I don't share this story just as a PSA, although I do think it is important we all do our part, but I share it as a reflection, an extension of Paul's situation that he faces with the Corinthians this day. He begins with a phrase. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And at the center of it all is a question of diet, particularly or specifically the meat consumed from the markets. You see, most meat available at that time was actually sacrificial meat. It was meat sacrificed at the altars of pantheons of gods. And when those sacrifices were made, the leftover meat need not go to waste, but instead was sold at the market, offered for sale after its ritual purpose had been accomplished. Now, there was a group of Christians at this time, uh, those quite often who were better off, who could afford to buy meat, who, much to the dismay of others, chose to eat this meat previously sacrificed on the altars of false gods and altars. But, you see, their logic was pretty simple and pretty straightforward. In fact, as a philosophy major, I really sort of appreciate the logic as Paul lays it out for us. He says, here's how it works. There are no idols in this world that actually exist. These gods aren't real. There is no god but the one true god. And if all things come from the one true god, then all food, including this food sacrificed to altars, comes from god, the one true god, and is therefore, you guessed it, edible. It's an option on the menu. He goes on to say that food shouldn't and won't determine our relationship for God, although I will say that a good pork shoulder well done in the smoker is a divine experience, but it doesn't define my experience of God. And this group of, as I mentioned, mostly upper-class individuals who could afford to purchase such luxuries such as meat were exercising their personal liberty and ate whatever they wanted. They ate this meat because they understood that it wasn't actually a sacrifice to other gods because there weren't other gods. But you see, Paul then gives a warning. He says, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, this personal choice of theirs, based on the knowledge that they have, could lead others without such knowledge into idolatry. 
while they can separate the difference between the meat and the false gods to which it was sacrificed, others who see that example may not be able to make that distinction and may see that the only way to eat meat is to be sacrificing to false idols. And that's certainly not something Paul or, or really anyone in the early church wanted people to do. Others, in other words, without proper knowledge of God, may end up worshiping false gods in the process. Now, people knew their rights and, and are committed to exercising them, even if it put others at risk. You see, and that's what gets us back to the whole mask thing. As far as I'm concerned, Paul may as well have been discussing matters of, of masks, social distancing, and, and inoculations. You see, our Lord-loving liberties these days, our, our constitutional rights to freedom, freedom from even wearing a mask, has in some ways politicized something as simple as caring for each other has become a stumbling block in our efforts and our attempts to get this pandemic fully under control. See, Paul's ethic of, of loving people is sort of outweighed and supersedes the perceived personal liberties that those people had, even in this case, the personal liberty of consuming meat. Paul then turns this idea of knowledge on its head in this ethic, say, saying that those who are justifying their actions could potentially be causing harm to others. And therefore, what they're doing is they're not showing actually the knowledge that they have, nor are they even exercising their liberties. But instead, instead the way that we share with others, the way that we exercise our truest freedom is through a voluntary sensitivity to our neighbor in love. It's our love of others, how we truly exercise our freedom in Christ. And this is a concept that Luther picks up almost 1,500 years later in his writing, The Freedom of a Christian, when he says, A Christian is utterly free and yet Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is an utterly dutiful servant of all and subject to all. See, Christ frees us all to be able to serve each other in love. And when we're given the choice to practice this service to others or, or to protect others, we have to do it. We have to make that difficult choice. Even if we disagree with the methodology or even if we question the efficacy of the knowledge behind it, that it's in choosing to limit ourselves for the sake of the neighbor that we experience the greatest freedom of all, the greatest expression of Christ's love for all. Perhaps a better way to, to frame this phrase that Paul started with is not that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, but instead that individual liberty puffs up, but love builds up. I get it. We are all exhausted at this point. I am tired of the new normal. But more than ever, we need to love each other because this is the norm of our faith. Caring for one another, even if it means setting aside our personal preferences or, dare I say, our personal liberties. And that's what we have to do in this moment. I gotta say, if Paul
Paul is willing to become a vegetarian in an effort to help those around him, I think we can do our part too. So thanks be to God. and Be safe, not just for yourself, but for those around us. Amen.